It is great to be with you all this morning. Wonderful time as far as starting the Christmas season and remembering why it is that we celebrate and what this time of year is all about. So in case you all happen to have missed things, um, Thanksgiving 2021 is now in the books. And we have Black Friday, Cyber Monday, both of those are safely behind us. And in case you are wondering, we are exactly 20 days away from Christmas. So if you have not started your shopping, God bless you. <laughs> the older I get, the more shocked I am by how quickly the holiday season comes upon us. I can remember as a kid, my parents saying that the older you get, the faster time seems to go. And when I was maybe 9, 10, 11 years old, that made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. It makes a whole lot more sense to me at this point in my life. Time just flies. So from now through New Year's, most of us are in some form of what you might call a Christmas rush. That is, we're wrapping up projects at work and buying gifts and attending different Christmas parties, decorating homes, exchanging Christmas cards with friends and family members. And there is a lot that is going on at this time of year, but there is still what you almost might refer to as a Norman Rockwellish quality to this time of year. And it's not that things have not changed, but there's still enough really good traditions and enough nods to maybe more simple moments in the past that kind of fills your heart with a little bit of nostalgia at this point of the year. So take Christmas cards as an example. Christmas cards have absolutely changed over the years, but there's still a few parts of those that are the same. So when I was growing up, Christmas cards had like four options to choose from. And that is, you could have your standard manger scene. That was always a real crowd pleaser. Uh, maybe an angel with a trumpet. There was the ever faithful classic star over Bethlehem. And if you were not quite as religious as your friends and family, you got the one with the Christmas tree and the presents underneath. You had four options to choose from. That was pretty much it. And on the simple cards, there were simple words, words like hope and joy, love, Noel, peace. And there was always an official signee on behalf of the family. Whoever that was who got stuck with it for the year, here's what happened. You'd basically open up your card, and after the printed material on the inside, it would just say, The Roberts or whoever your family might have been. Now, if they were extra chatty, they might say, God bless you, the Roberts. <laughs> and, and somewhere along the way, that simple card and simple signature got replaced with a typed out, folded up, moment by moment record of everything that has happened in that house for an entire year. So uh, every accomplishment and every broken bone and every vacation, kitchen remodel, a new pet, all of it is right there for your reading pleasure through the holiday season. Now, it also became customary somewhere along the way to include a family picture with that typed out note. And I I've got a family picture that I'd like to uh, bring on the screen at this time. Now, look at all that goodness going on. Apparently, if one sweater is good, 11 has to be better. 
So if the family is going to be in sweaters, it's also customary that you have your pets in this card now, so you put your pets in sweaters as well. And then if you happen to have some, you know, skills on Shutterfly, you can create all of that yourself. That is, you have people in sweaters and pets in sweaters and apparently pets with halos and angel wings. That, that poor cat has gone on to a better life maybe. Um, so you've kind of got all of it mixed together. I, I don't know if you can see it as well as what I can. You can probably see the one that's in the middle a little bit more. But I want us to hold that up for just a moment. Notice the fact that at the top of that, the words are the same. There's peace. There's joy. Noel. Isn't that something? As strange as that card is, and it is strange. Let's, let's, let's just go ahead and get that out of the way right now. As strange as it might be, those same words are still being used in order to describe Christmas. Have you ever wondered why it is that those types of words are almost synonymous with Christmas? You, you know, for example, could it not also be that in this culture, maybe happiness instead of joy might seem more culturally relevant? Or maybe calmness instead of peace, or optimism instead of hope? Like those words seem to be more culturally connected than the words that we find on those Christmas cards. But we find that those same words have been words that have been used on Christmas cards in the past, and they've almost become synonymous with the Christmas season. So here's what we're going to enter into. We are entering into a month-long period of time of preparing our hearts for Christmas. Now, this is not going to be maybe a traditional Advent series, but there's going to have some similarities involved in that. And that is, I want us to rediscover the wonder of Christmas through four words that are the most often connected with Christmas. Those words are love, peace, joy, and hope. Love, peace, joy, and hope. With each of those different words, we are going to be asking three questions that are specific to Christmas. That is, what was expected, what was revealed, why does it matter? What was expected, what was revealed, and why does it matter? So through messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, what was expected prior to Christ's birth? That's where we're primarily going to be focused this morning. Based upon the life and the teachings and the ministry of Jesus, what was revealed through Christ's birth? And then finally, from the perspective of a Christian today, why does it matter practically that he was born? 2,000 years later, how does that change the way that you and I live each day of our life? So we have a lot to cover at this point. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles today to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2, will be in verses 12 through 14. I am setting up this particular series focused on the idea of wonder, and while I do this and you're turning there, I want to draw your attention to two other pieces real fast. First, I want to draw your attention. I'm going to come back to these at the end of the service. That is outside in the lobby. We have different cards that are going to be invite cards, not only for this series, but also invite cards for our Wonder Christmas concert that's taking place next Saturday. Amen. Amen. Next Saturday 
and Sunday night. And I want to encourage you, pick up a pack of those cards and hand them out. I also want to draw attention to the fact, if you've not already gone on either the Sherwood app or on the website, we have a new verse of the month and we also have a new book of the month that is out. Here's the thing I want you to see about both the verse and the book over the last four months. Each one has been focused on you and I knowing Christ more. That's the, that's the common thread that is tying all of the verses and all of those books together. All right, that being said, let's now look at our text, Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2. We're in verses 12 through 14. Here's what it says. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask today that your spirit would guide us in truth. Help us to be able to, to in many ways, go back and reflect and rediscover the wonder of what this Christmas season is all about. God, may your spirit guide us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice the first several words in verse number 12. This will be a sign for you. A sign is meant to get attention. It's meant to inform us. It is meant to direct us. And from the very beginning, God gave us a sign, as he calls it, with this manger scene. He wanted to grab attention. He wanted to direct us. He wanted to inform us that something significant, something major had just happened with the birth of Jesus. And for you and I to understand why that sign is there and why it's so important, we're going to ask those three questions. What was expected? What was revealed? And why does it matter? So what was expected. That focuses on the messianic prophecies from the Old Testament that pointed towards the promised child or the promised one who would be revealed in the New Testament. Messiah, that word itself, was to be the restorer. And I'm going to keep coming back to that word multiple times over the course of this morning. Messiah was to be the restorer. Messiah would restore the Davidic dynasty as king and restore Israel's rightful place of prominence in the world. Messiah would restore the world with justice and peace. Messiah was the restorer. Now, the word Messiah was also closely connected with the practice of pouring oil over top of the head of a king. That's why it's also Messiah is referred to as the anointed one. So the Greek equivalent for this word Messiah that you find in the New Testament is Christos or Christ. Just so that we're all on the same page, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is a title that is identifying him as the promised one. It is identifying him as the anointed one, as the expected one, as the restorer. Jesus is the Christ. So depending upon the source that you're looking at, some would say that there were 305 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that were pointing towards who Messiah would be. Now at the same time, these prophecies help people to recognize Messiah when he came, as well as recognize and understand the purpose of his coming. Now I say dependent upon the sources because some sources would say there's 305 messianic prophecies. Others would say it's 324. Others say 353. 
Still others would say 365, one for every single day of the year, if you would like. So why is it that there's different numbers based upon different sources? Well, here's the reason for that. The numbers will vary because certain texts may have messianic implications, but there has not been a connection made in the scriptures itself. So for example, there are some texts that have that connection immediately there because either Jesus or one of the other New Testament writers made the connection for us. If you were to go into Luke chapter 4, verse 21, just after quoting a messianic prophecy out of Isaiah, Jesus is the one who said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus was the one who affirmed the connection between that Old Testament prophecy and the fulfillment in him at that time. Also, you can find other gospel writers doing the same thing. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, after Peter's mother-in-law was healed of a fever and after Jesus went through and casting demons out of people, you find that Matthew says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. So so here's what you have in those. When Jesus or one of the New Testament writers makes the connection for us, that's seen as a confirmed link. That is, there's no question in anybody's mind. That's a confirmed link. But there's also other messianic prophecies that you can infer that connection based upon the clarity of the prophecy and its fulfillment in Christ. So I want to go through and just share a few of those with you. This is just a list of 15 out of the 305, if you took the smallest number. This is just 15 of those prophecies from the Old Testament moving into the New Testament. First, Messiah would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7. Jesus is born of a virgin, Matthew 1. Messiah would be called Emmanuel, Isaiah 7. Jesus is called Emmanuel, Matthew chapter 1. Messiah would spend time in Egypt, Hosea 11. Jesus spent time in Egypt, Matthew chapter 2. A messenger would prepare the way before Messiah, Isaiah 40. John the Baptist prepared the way prior to Christ, according to Luke 3. Messiah would be rejected of his own people, Psalm 69. This prophecy is fulfilled and connected to Jesus in John chapter 1. Messiah would be declared son of God, Psalm 2. It happens of Jesus in Matthew 3. The Messiah would be betrayed, Psalm 41. Jesus is betrayed, Luke 22. Money from Messiah's betrayal would be used to buy a potter's field, Zechariah chapter 11. That's exactly what happens with Jesus in Matthew 27. Messiah would be spit upon and struck, Isaiah 50. It happens of Jesus in Matthew 26. Messiah would die with criminals, Isaiah 53. Jesus is crucified with criminals, Matthew 27. Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced, Psalm 22. And we find that happens of Jesus in John chapter 20. Soldiers would gamble for Messiah's garments, Psalm 22. That's what they did of Jesus in Luke 23. Messiah would rise from the dead, Psalm 16. Jesus rose from the dead, Matthew 28. Messiah would be a sacrifice for sin, Isaiah 53. Paul describes Jesus as that exact thing in Romans chapter 5. Messiah would be seated at God's right hand, Psalm 68. That's the picture we see of Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. That is 15 
of the lowest number of 305 messianic prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ. Now remember, prophecy was given by God as a way of helping people identify Messiah when he arrived, as well as helping people understand his purpose for coming. So let's just pause there for just a moment. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. Imagine if you were meeting a friend of mine for the first time. You've never seen this friend. You don't know what to expect. So you ask me, how will I know that it's your friend? And I say, well, let me describe my friend to you. He's a white dude, and he's six foot 11. And he's going to meet you at Starbucks on December the 7th at 12 p.m. And when he walks in, he's going to be wearing a blue T-shirt that has Sherwood right across the front. He's going to pull up in a yellow Corvette. And when he walks in, he's going to hold a Bible over his hand, head for the first five minutes of standing in the restaurants. Now, if you can't spot that dude... There's either a couple things happening. Either number one, you're not paying attention to what I shared. Number two, you're willfully choosing to look in a different direction. Or number three, you're legally blind. <laughs> Those are your options. Okay, now as funny as that might sound, take it on the spiritual side. When you look at the way that God, through prophecy, pointed to Jesus as Messiah, if you don't spot him when he comes, there are several things that's happening. Either one, you did not pay attention to what was shared. Number two, you're choosing to look the other way. Or number three, and this would include everybody apart from Christ, you're spiritually blind. Now, if it's that clear, why did so many people miss him? Well, there's a number of reasons for that. One of those, and we can't, we can't always look at things from our perspective 2,000 years after Jesus has come and say, why didn't they get it? You know, there's that saying, hindsight is twenty twenty. But here's one of the main reasons why a lot of people missed it. You and I might have multiple copies of the completed scriptures in our home. For many of them, they didn't have access to God's word. For those who might have heard it taught, they, they might not have been able to spend as much time learning. They might not have been able to read. So you've got some of those issues that immediately impact it. If all of those prophecies are found in God's word and people don't have access to God's word, don't be surprised if people don't recognize it. But there's another piece with this, and that is expectations impact recognition. You look for what you expect and if your expectations are off, you can completely miss what is right in front of your eyes. So what were the expectations that people had of Messiah? Now, I've already shared Messiah would be the restorer, okay? What exactly is Messiah restoring? Here's a couple of pieces. He would restore David's kingly lineage with godlike and human qualities. Now, it is hard enough for you and I to get our minds around the dual nature of Christ. 100% God, 100% man. What does that look like? I, I don't know. That's above my pay grade. All I know is he's God. All I know is the word of God is true. And somewhere in eternity, maybe God will help us make sense of that. But it was even harder for people back then. Based on the prophecies, Messiah would be a king of David's lineage from the tribe of Judah. 
Now, that's easy enough for us to look at. All you need to do is look at a genealogy chart, and you can say, okay, I can follow the progression, tribe of Judah, lineage of David. I, I get that. But here's where things got more confusing. The prophets described this king as more than a mere person. Isaiah called Messiah a child and a son. You're like, okay, that sounds like a person. Who will be named Wonderful Counselor? All right, he's got some skills in counseling. I'm good. Here's where it gets crazy. Mighty God. That doesn't sound like a person. Eternal Father. Eternal? Like forever? Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. Of whose kingdom will never end. That does not sound like an earthly king. And then Genesis 49, verse 10, it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet. It will not depart. His his kingdom will never end. Like, ever end? Like, it goes on forever? Like, how can that possibly be a person? And that's the part that was so confusing for people. It was descriptions like that that hinted that Messiah would either be godlike or dual-natured or God himself. Now, on a practical level, how would you recognize God if he did come? Put yourself back 2,000 years ago, and you've been waiting for Messiah to come. And you have the prophecies, and you're anticipating it. How would you recognize God if he shows up in human flesh? Now, I'm just spitballing here for a moment. But it would seem as though if God's making his entrance into this world, there might be some things around it that would stand out. Like, hey, maybe a star would highlight his coming. That sounds something godlike. Or maybe he would fill the skies with the angelic choir, singing his praises and announcing his arrival. That that sounds like something that God might do. Or how would you recognize him after that moment? Maybe you weren't around and maybe didn't see it. Maybe didn't even hear the story. Well, let's say somebody could calm a storm with their words. That seems pretty impressive. Or or what would you think about a person who can walk on water? Or somebody who can heal disease with a touch? Or somebody who brings the dead back to life? What do you think about a person that demons tremble in their very presence? Or or what if that individual said, I'm going to die and I'll raise myself again three days later? If you find anybody that fits that description, chalk it up under strong possibility. (laughs) The scriptures are so clear in saying, it's Jesus It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's right here. If you missed the first sign, I got 304 more coming right behind it. If you missed that part, just look at his life. Look at his ministry. Look at what he did. There's those pieces that they give us assurance today. Even though you might be living 2,000 years later, there's assurance that the same one who walked on the seas back then is the same one changing people's lives today. He's the same one who's changed many of our lives today. So when we look at these texts, there were things they were expecting. Here's another piece. Through military leadership, they were expecting that Messiah would restore 
nationalistic pride, Israel's prominence in the world, and justice and peace to this world. That's what they were expecting. So Isaiah prophesied that Messiah would rule the earth with justice and equity, Isaiah 11. But there also seemed to be a few contradictions around his rule. Some prophecies describe him as a warrior, and others described him as a man of peace. Some prophecies, like Daniel chapter 7, says he's going to arrive in the clouds, and yet other prophecies, like Zechariah 9, says he's going to arrive on a donkey's back. Now, because of what seemed like contradictions and prophecies, it led certain groups, like a sect at Qumran. That's where we got the Dead Sea Scrolls from. It was found in that area. It led some people there to think, Maybe there's two messiahs or possibly three messiahs because they couldn't make sense of those pieces. But here's the thing. If you put all of Scripture together, it makes perfect sense. How can somebody arrive in the clouds and on a donkey? How can somebody be a warrior as well as a man of peace? It only makes sense if you factor in the second coming of Christ as well. At his first coming, he came to suffer and die on behalf of sinners. At his second coming, he will return as conquering king. At his first coming, he entered Jerusalem on a donkey's back. And at his second coming, guess where he's coming from? He arrives in the clouds. Don't you love the way scripture comes together to paint the picture for us? The fact that Jesus did not attempt to overthrow the Roman occupiers and reclaim Israel's throne was a part of why he was also widely rejected by many Jewish authorities. Here's the point. Expectations impact recognition. Now, let me pause for just a moment. This is your connection piece back to the words I gave at the very beginning and all of the prophecies you just heard described in their fulfillment in Christ. Here's your connecting piece. Based on Old Testament prophecies and expectations, the words we use to associate with Christmas today are the same words they associated with Messiah's arrival back then. That's your connection piece. That is, when they looked forward to Messiah's arrival, they had hope. Hope in the restoration of Israel. Hope for Israel's future. Hope that a godly king would once again sit upon David's throne. There was peace. Messiah would usher in an era of peace. He would make things right. He would restore justice and equity, bringing about balance. And here it is, bringing about peace. He was to be called the prince of peace. There was joy in this. Joy is the highest level of happiness that is not reduced by circumstances. For the Hebrew people, their journey had been filled with ups and downs. That means that they went back and forth between slavery and freedom, poverty and riches, disrespect and respect. And they could endure all of those things because they had joy in knowing one day Messiah is coming and is going to make all of this right. And then there was love. Every prophecy of Messiah was a reminder of God's great love for Israel. Israel is called the apple of God's eye, Zechariah 2.8. God said, I have loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31.3. Deuteronomy 23.5 tells us that God turns curses into blessings because of his love for Israel. 
So every one of those different messianic prophecies about Messiah was a reminder of how deep and how wide and how strong and how powerful God's love was for the Jewish people. The same words that today we associate with Christmas when we look back are the exact same words that they connected with Messiah's arrival that would have been in their future. So, at this point, we now know where the words come from. We know why those words are often associated with Christmas. Today's focus was more, more than anything to set up a framework so that over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about those four words. We're going to ask those same questions. What was expected? What was revealed? Why does it matter? What was expected? What was revealed? Why does it matter? And here's what my prayer is. I'm praying that by the time we're done, there is going to be a restoration in our hearts of the wonder of Christmas. I'm praying that we see parts of the word of God in a way that we've never seen it before. I'm praying that when we celebrate together as a church, I'm praying that there's a freshness in that. That there's an excitement in that. It's, it's not just business as usual. And by the way, when you're in church life, sometimes Christmas can almost be a grind. It's like if we can just hold on until New Year's, we'll make it through. I don't want to hold on. I want to enjoy every part of it. I want to be reminded of why it is that we get a chance to celebrate at this time of year. So all of that being said, each of the weeks we will see how love joy, peace, and hope are not just words associated with Christmas. They also describe the greatest needs of humanity. We need love. We need joy. We need peace. We need hope. Take any one of those four words right now into a hurting world, and it is almost like balm or salve for the heart of a weary person. Remove any of the four words and your outlook on life will plummet. Restore any of those four words, and your outlook on the future immediately gets brighter. Christmas is an incredible time of year, not only because we know the significance behind those words, but here's what makes it even more exciting. Even secular venues are promoting the exact same words in every direction. How awesome is that? How awesome is it that God can redeem even those parts of humanity so that all of those pieces are still pointing towards him and still telling his story. So when you see those cards come rolling up with cats and halos and wings on their back and people in matching sweaters and the words joy, hope, Noel, peace, take a moment and look at each of those words and sit with it and think about why that word is so significant. So I've got, I guess, three prayers and one task as a part of your homework. You didn't know you were getting homework. You're welcome. <laughs> so we got three prayers. Here they are. Prayer number one, Lord, help me see Christmas from your perspective. Simple prayer. Prayer number two, Lord, allow these four words, love, joy, peace, hope to come alive in me in new ways. And prayer number three, 
Lord, how do you want to use me to share your good news to others? Now, here's your task. I told you I was going to come back to these cards at the very end. Here's your task. Outside in the lobby, there's a number of tables that are set up. They have little packs with five of these invite cards that are all rubber banded together. And I want to encourage you, every single person who's here, doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter where you live, I'm going to encourage every person who's here, pick up a pack of these cards, pray over them. That's key. Pray over them and ask God, who does he want you to give one of these cards to? It might be a neighbor, might be a friend, might be a coworker, might be somebody you randomly meet along the way. And all of a sudden, it's like immediately inside your spirit, it's like God says, give them a card. Okay, that's that moment you go through, you give them a card. This is basically an invite, not only for the series, it talks about the series on the front, but it's also an invite to our, our Wonder Christmas concert that's taking place right here next Saturday and Sunday night. This is an incredible opportunity to be able to invite people who may not normally attend church, to be able to invite them in on something that they would enjoy, something that a lot of pressure is off. But listen, they're going to hear the gospel. If we have an event and the gospel is not somehow connected to it, we missed an opportunity right there. That's why I'm asking you to pray over the cards before you give them out. The other thing is, if you think to yourself, five's not enough, I need 50 or 150, feel free to take those as well. We'll print some more. Now, don't take them if you're not going to hand them out. But hand them out. I'm, I'm encouraging you. Pray with us that God uses this time, this season, these invites, the, the messages, the concert, your invitation in order to change somebody's life for all eternity. It's going to be a good time. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask today, Lord, that you would allow our hearts, our minds, our focus to be on you. And God, we know that there's so many things that are vying for our attention and many times are distracting us from what could be the most important season right now as we recognize your birth. God, we ask you at this point to help us not miss it. May we enjoy each moment along the way and Lord, may we see many, many people come to know you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask if you would stand where you are I'm going to ask our pastors if they would come forward. Our time of invitation is going to be a hair bit different than in most of them. That is, I want to encourage you today, during this time, that as a collective group, we are praying, God, would you allow Sherwood at this point in this season to be able to reach and minister to people all around this community? At the same time, it might be that some of you are saying, there's some things going on in my life right now I need prayer on. We have pastors that are available that want to pray with you. It might be that you're looking for a church home and you're looking for a place that is going to preach the word and be about the gospel and there's going to be worship that is in spirit and in truth and there's going to be a warm, loving community of believers around you. If that's what you're looking for, I'd love for you to consider Sherwood. God is doing amazing things in this church. But however the Spirit of God is leading you, 
I'm going to encourage you to respond to him. Let's sing.